0: Why is freedom so important to our spiritual development? Do truths we know undergo a process of rebirth themselves? What makes truth true and goodness good anyway? We explore these topics right now in the NCE Spotlight, your home for fresh insights from the ongoing translation of the New Century edition of Swedenborg's Theological Works. Knock, knock, Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey, come on in. Hey, here you are. You're looking great. Thanks so much for having us.
1: Thank you. You guys look good too. Oh, I love the the, the outfit. Your hair looks great. Everything is put
2: together.
0: I know, <laughs> and there's quite an aura about you today. So now I'm really curious, like what have you been reading, Jonathan?
2: Uh, well, yeah, it must be this content. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's all about the relationship between goodness and truth. Don't know if you've ever heard of those terms when you're reading Swedenborg, okay. but they come up now and then. And as I found, they have
0: in this podcast as well.
2: That's right. I I felt a surge of excitement
1: when you said that, because I love getting some specifics about what the heck he's talking about, because he's talking about it all the time. So, I'm, I'm already hooked.
2: It's great. It, I, I'm, I'm with you, because uh, when you find these little tidbits that shed some light. It's like, oh, okay, okay. So I thought these were cool. This first one's number 3158, deliberation demands an atmosphere of freedom. People realize that engagement and marriage require an atmosphere of freedom, but they don't see very clearly that the introduction and unions of goodness and truth does too. This is because the process is not visible to the earthly self, and because it's one that occurs without our reflecting on it. Even so, it is taking place every second that we are being reformed and reborn. When truth is uniting with goodness, we are enjoying a condition of freedom.
0: Whoa! How did that? How did that number begin again? Can you read the, just the first
2: sentence? Yeah deliberation demands an atmosphere of freedom. People realize that engagement and marriage require an atmosphere of freedom, but they don't uh-huh. see very clearly, so on and so forth.
0: Oh my gosh, yes.
2: So, yeah, oh. he takes this sort of marriage analogy to the next level by saying, oh no, there's a there's a freedom and a parlez-vous and a back and forth that goes on and we don't know anything about it, but this is going on every second. <laughs> that we're being reformed and reborn.
0: Now I'm wanting you to read the last sentence again, too, or that (laughs) last one where you said, like, goodness and truth something.
2: Yeah, it says, um, even so, it's taking place every second that we're being reformed and reborn. When truth is uniting with goodness, we are enjoying a condition of freedom. Whoa. It's never forced.
0: That's interesting to think about it as being a sign of goodness and truth uniting is oh. we're experiencing a condition of freedom and then also the trend, the definition of our regeneration being that that's uniting goodness and truth like you know that's what that means if people have ever wondered what regeneration is it's actually uniting goodness and truth inside of yourself
1: well it's amazing to think about The coming together of goodness and truth which nobody knows exactly what that is but in some instances it's like a positive emotion coming together with an accurate idea of how reality works or even some marching instructions on how to behave spiritually and Mm -hmm. I would think oh yeah you can just kind of say well this is how it is you know we we here at Morgan Foundation we're always given out its spiritual advice well you do this Swedenborg says do that you think this is how it is but it seems like Swedenborg is saying here that the joining together of those two things really you could make like a rom-com about it like they have Mm -hmm. to (laughs) they have to fall in love and it's this process where there has to be freedom it's not just like go over there and do that it's like well first they're going to be introduced to each other and notice something and have some crazy mix up and then eventually they realize they're right for each other all along (laughs) But but and I'm being a little bit silly, but but that's actually pretty crazy that you would need uh, an organic free space for those two to 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 really get into each other.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and to have the space, as you say, to kind of misunderstand each other or underestimate each other, and then oh no, I see you in a better light, and you know, and decide no, I'm in, I'm in. This this is this is right for me.
0: Yeah. So that seems like it goes both ways, like that it's either y- you need that condition of freedom for goodness and truth to unite with each other, but then also their uniting with each other is freedom too. Or like there's, anyway, it seems like there's right. multiple layers of that going on. That's amazing.
2: I like your thought that it's a a symptom or or whatever you'd say at, at least that's the condition in which it happens, and so when you're experiencing that freedom, I mean the Lord doesn't waste yeah. any time with this process, you know uh, if freedom is there, let's do it, you know yes, let's get this truth and goodness together
0: hmm that's just so interesting to think about, yep,
2: this next one has a more specific analogy it's fairly long but i i like this analogy it shed a little light and i should say that what he's talking about a lot is how rebecca was living somewhere and then moved somewhere else to be with isaac and this has to do with how truth rises up from our earthly mind and becomes part of our rational mind and even there, there's sort of a, should she stay longer with her family, or will she go now? And there's a back and forth. And um, mm-hmm. So here's what he says in 3182. What's going on here can be seen from the discussion and illustrations above in the current chapter. However, a few more words need to be said to make it all clearer. When the truth that is to be introduced and united to goodness is raised up out of the earthly self... It then parts with everything in the earthly self. That parting is what they sent away, Rebecca, their sister, symbolizes. The separation takes place when we no longer regard goodness from the viewpoint of truth, but Mm. truth from the viewpoint of goodness. To put the same thing another way, the separation takes place when we no longer regard life from the viewpoint of doctrine, but doctrine from the viewpoint of of life. Mm -hmm. And then he gives us an example. Thank you. Doctrine teaches this truth, for example, that we should not hate anyone because when we hate someone, we are killing that person every single second.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: Yeah. Okay. Nice. You know, let's start with something small. (laughs) Yeah. And then we'll work our way up. Right. (laughs)
1: Well, just like, we'll start with killing someone every single second, and then we'll get onto the big stuff. Yeah,
2: that's right. (laughs) In our early years, we hardly even admit this. But if we reform as we develop, we count it as a teaching to live by. Eventually, we actually do live by it. And then we no longer think about it from doctrine, but act on it in our life. When we do... The truth of this teaching is raised up out of our earthly self and even detached from it and is grafted onto the goodness in our rational mind. At that point, we no longer allow our earthly self to call it into doubt by any private sophistry. In fact, we do not even allow our earthly self to argue against it.
0: Wow. Well read. Just applause, everybody. Um, I There is so much in there and first of all, I like that it sounds like truth is, truth has a body and a soul and that we are first, like there's the body of truth and then the body dies and the soul of truth is raised up and, and gets grafted on that goodness, which is very interesting and fun to think about. Um, and then... And then, yeah, it just just makes so much sense to me that that goodness, seeing the truth from goodness is so much more like no nonsense. Like it just knows what works and what doesn't.
2: There's an interesting implication in there that the earthly self is a place of, let's call it the debate society or something where, what do you think? Do you think it's, I'm not sure what evidence is there, you know, and kicking it around and all that. And I like that thought that at some point when you live it, it becomes so unquestionable, so solid, So as you say, dies and goes to heaven, yeah. that uh, no, you don't debate about it. You're not going to argue about it. It's completely left that realm of the earthly mind and gone up to a higher level. So I found that a, a pretty clear description. I was so glad when he said it.
1: Here comes an example, because I was trying to think in my mind, well, maybe should I ask Jonathan and Chelsea f- that we should maybe th- think through an example what would, but he did mm-hmm. it, and <laughs> it's true that there are certain axioms that you don't that are beyond investigation in yourself, I think everybody has them they're just like yeah i I know this uh, i'm I'm fully convinced of this, not that we can ever not not ever change those but it's just the way you operate. Right. If you just think about it, it's the way you operate. There are certain things that I'm not trying to figure out whether it's true or not. And mm-hmm. I've not really heard that before, that that's what it is to look at truth from good is it's gotten into that club of the taken-for-granted club.
2: Right. And yeah. and he frames this in the context of how you go from... You, doctrine to life so you start living by it but then it goes from life to doctrine and the implication being that when you're coming from a state of goodness goodwill toward others and so on the obviousness of hatred is bad yeah. you know <laughs> is at another level um, than it is when you just, I mean it's probably not great, I, I don't really know who it hurts but You know, it's probably not good.
0: Right.
1: I was just recently reading one of the numerous places where Swedenborg says, you can't really know that so-and-so is bad unless you know it's opposite. So I do think that unless you have that direct experience, I think a good example that's popping to mind would be, let's just take a physical example and think about pollution, like environmental pollution, and I have some study in ecosystems and animals and how fragile certain things are. And if you don't really have a ton of knowledge of how intricate all those relationships are and how each thing needs everything to be just right in order for it to survive and all these different species depend on each other, if you were to, let's say, you know, dump a bunch of chemicals into this pond, you might not really get a sense of just how damaging that is. Mm. And I think that that's probably the same only as you really come to understand the state of everything. I think about having a daughter. I knew about little kids and I knew that they were... you, You should protect them in all kinds of ways. But just understanding really like the little, cute, innocent way in which she sees the world has really uh woken me up more to oh yeah this you could totally mess that up like you you've got to make sure that that stays safe And, and just understanding in a new way just how how cool and fragile it is at the same time so i think it'd be the same thing about with that hatred stuff it's like understanding what a terrible thing it is to really hate people because understanding oh it's like people are people and you don't really know where they're coming from but also understanding what that hate does to you yeah okay I just that's pretty great
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. and this is one of those numbers that does just like beg to be visualized you know he's talking about these levels he's talking about grafting and truth something being left behind of the truth and then it comes up and unites to the goodness like I wish you could see what was in my mind right now it's great
2: i'll take your word for it yeah <laughs> i so often wish i was in the spiritual world having these kind of conversations because with all the visual media that just spontaneously happened in that world right you know and yep. the efficiency of their language and facial expressions and seeing what people really mean and it would be very cool yep our third one is does something amazing to me he actually gets around to saying i always like the sort of life hack information yes he yes. actually mentions a way of telling whether goodness and truth have become real in yourself or or not you know how real are they hmm. um, and uh what they say to Rebecca as she's leaving is, Our sister, may you become thousands of myriads. Nice. This symbolizes the way a desire for truth bears fruit to infinity. This can be seen from the symbolism of the sister, Rebecca, as a desire for truth, and from that of may you become thousands of myriads as bearing fruit to infinity. Thousands of myriads here means infinity because the subject is the Lord, in whom absolutely everything is infinite. In people, this is how the matter stands. Goodness does not bear fruit in us, nor does truth multiply, until truth and goodness unite in our rational mind, or, in other words, until we have been reborn. Hmm. At that point, our fruit, the offspring we bear, springs from a lawful or heavenly marriage, which is the marriage of goodness and truth. Before then, it does look as though the good we do is good and as though the truth is true, but they're not genuine because they lack a real soul, which is goodness filled with innocence from the Lord. As a result, and here's the drum roll, Hmm. they do not touch our heart or make us happy. The Lord gives them a soul, a feeling of love and charity, Along with happiness, when we regenerate. Ooh. Whoa. So, to me, it's like: Is your truth making you happy? <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> it's a simple. <laughs> Does it simple
0: touch
2: question? your heart? Yeah, really. Does it make you happy? You know. Whoa. Gives it a soul. I, I just thought that was really, really interesting.
1: Man, I love that. that. that yeah. And what you just pulled out of it there to say, does your truth make you happy? <laughs> that, that, that's <laughs> a, Ask yourself
0: that every day. Yeah.
1: That's a, a litmus test. Yes. It's yes. amazing.
0: <laughs> how does believing that make you feel? Like when you're needing to question your thoughts, it's like, well, is the thought that you're having, how does it make you feel when you believe that thing? And, and then that being sort of a, a litmus test for is that really the best way to, the best perspective to have? Um, That's wild. I was thinking about, it was giving me a sense of people, how we, how our sense of identity evolves over time and that uh, we can be, we always feel like we're being ourselves doing something. But then when you're further along and you look back on your life and you see the things that you did or the things you accomplished. It's like, I wonder if you can get a sense of was, where, where did the soul start coming in? You know, like where was that, what you're describing start being the active driver of what, of what you're doing. And I guess sometimes it's sort of hard because some people, they, people go a long time without ever being invited to have that opportunity or that consideration like maybe like is your truth making you happy you know like maybe there's another way of being or maybe there's a way to live live with your soul more alive in whatever it is you're doing you know
1: yeah that's awesome i was just thinking about i think i mentioned it on this podcast maybe thousands of episodes ago the valley of disappointment from the book atomic habits where it's just like a a little graph if you can picture it with one um, line going diagonally up, you know, di- forward and up the same X and Y. And mm-hmm. there's another arrow that dips a bit as it's going forward, but then eventually crosses over that first diagonal line. Well, the diagonal mm-hmm. line is your expectation. If you say, I'm going to start running and that's going to start making me feel better, or I'm going to start eating differently and I'm going to lose weight and you have an expectation of how that's going to progress. But most things, and and particularly I guess in habit building, most things actually take longer to kick in than you think they're gonna do. Mm -hmm. And so that initial period is called the valley of disappointment, where you Mm -hmm. feel like this is not working. I've been doing this for a while and it should be doing something for me by now because we don't realize that our expectations are usually above what it does. But then if you stick it out, It actually exceeds your expectations, eventually. Hmm. And I think that this number that you brought up, Jonathan, gives a really compelling description of why it can feel forced and even artificial in the early stages of trying to follow spiritual principles. Right. Okay, you have to be nice to people. Okay, I'll eat my vegetables. Because that's how it's supposed to be. You don't get joy from that initial stuff. I just, it's just so cool that he spells it out. But no, it, it's after you go through enough of it, after you build up that habit and make it part of who you are, there is a, set, a distinct second stage, which is where yeah. it's actually fun. and Where it actually d- brings you the peace and happiness and everything that you're looking for in your spiritual path.
2: A philanthropist friend of mine, uh, I don't think he originated the phrase... He may have, but um, he would say, don't give till it hurts, give till it feels good. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> nice.
2: And uh, also implied in this passage is that when that comes to life, it's not just, oh, look, the light turned on. Uh, that's when this amazing fruitfulness
0: yeah of goodness yes.
2: and multiplication of truth you know the, the what was the bis- biblical phrase again may you become thousands of myriads you know uh yeah. like this is one person now but it'll be a whole uh, a whole lot of people in the future
0: that is so so cool
2: that's all i got
1: that's it <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> know. No, you had three three heavy hitters today
0: Oh, well, thank you so much, Jonathan. It is great to get to think about these things and hear from you uh, what stood out to you in your editing work. And so, yes, please. Let's keep going. Let's do it again sometime. I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. All passages quoted in this episode are sneak peeks from upcoming volumes of the New Century Edition translation of Secrets of Heaven. If you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, consider supporting us with a donation. We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to swedenborg.com/donate.